Welcome all to Story Crime, a place where we talk about true crime and occasionally the paranormal with a bit of good old conspiracy theories. I'm your host, Voice, and without further ado, let's get into today's case. Quick note before this episode starts, I'm quite new to this whole podcast industry, so please, if you could, after the episode, leave some feedback so I know where to improve and if I should add anything. Also, I will leave my sources in the description. In case I did get anything wrong or if I got any unreliable sources. Before this episode starts, I do need to put out some disclaimers in case some listeners may be triggered by these during the episode. The disclaimers include abduction and rape of a child, extensive detail of victim murders, sexual assault, supposed forced drugs to a minor, strangulation, attempted murder of a child, severe beatings, and finally, mutilation. Rodrigo Jacques Alcala Bicois was born with parents Raul Alcala Bicois and Anna Marie Gutierrez on August 23rd, 1943 in San Antonio, Texas. His family ended up moving to Mexico in 1951. However, at age 11, he and his mother moved to Los Angeles in 1954 with his two sisters, Christine and Marie. His father unfortunately abandoned his family for reasons unknown. At the age of 17, he enlisted in the US Army and served as a clerk for four years. After Rodney suffered a nervous breakdown, he was medically discharged when the military psychiatrist diagnosed him with antisocial personality disorder. Later in his life, however, he would evidently be diagnosed with various disorders, such as Narcissistic Personality Disorder, NPD, and Borderline Personality Disorder, BPD. He also showed traits of sexual sadism, comorbidite, and psychopathy. In 1968, Alcala graduated from UCLA, School of Fine Art with a bachelor's degree and later studied at NYU, which, coincidentally, his director was Roman Polanski, whose wife would be a victim of the Mason family murders. Coincidence? I think not. Um, he also went by the name John Berger. In the summer, he would later work as a counsellor at a drama camp for little kids in New Hampshire. Nowadays, Rodrigo Jacques Alcala-Bicois is known as Rodney Alcala, 
or more commonly as the dating game killer due to his appearance on the dating game in 1978. Bear in mind that this actual appearance was still when his murder spree had yet to be finished. DigiK's first known victim was eight-year-old Tally Shapiro, whom he abducted on her way to school. After luring her into his car, a witness followed him on his way to his apartment at D. Longprey Avenue and called the police, thankfully. Unfortunately, by the time that the police arrived, Rodney had struck the little girl with a steel rod and proceeded to rape her while unconscious. By the time that the police even got to the door, Alcala had escaped through the back of the place and just about escaped his arrest. It was then that he was immediately placed in the FBI's most wanted. Alcala fled to the East Coast and enrolled in NYU. In 1971, DGK is believed to have raped and strangled Cornelia Crilly, a transworld flight attendant eventually found naked and deceased in her Manhattan apartment. There were bite marks on her breasts and material in her throat, suggesting she had been gagged. However, because of any lack of evidence, her brutal murder would remain unsolved until 2011. Thankfully, that same year, two children that were in the camp that Rodney was actually working at recognised him from the FBI's most wanted list and reported him to the police. From there, he was escorted back to California to stand trial for the crimes he had committed. Now, looking back at Shapiro's case, um, as you can imagine, she must be mortally terrified. So, because of that, her parents did not let her testify at Alcala's trial, so prosecutors couldn't convict him of rape or attempted murder. Instead, he had to settle for a charge of assault. Rodney ended up serving 17 months in jail after the trial, but was released on parole in 1974. Just two months into his parole, he was arrested once again for assaulting a 13-year-old girl, giving him a second indeterminate sentence before being released on parole again in 1977. Somehow, despite all of Alcala's multiple offences, he was permitted to travel to New York. But as he does, just a week after arriving there, he committed his official second murder of Ellen Jane Hoover, or Hover. By the way, I apologise if I get any of these names wrong. I'm not that good at pronunciation. Ellen was only 22 years old at the time, and her body was found on the grounds of a hospital where she was so badly decomposed she could only be identified using dental records. Now, as you remember from earlier, Alcala used to go by the name John Berger. Now, the way that DGK was actually found to be the killer of, uh, of Ellen's murder was because Ellen had had written on her calendar that she was to be meeting a man under the name John Berger. Unfortunately, at the time, the police didn't quite know that that was Alcala's alias, so it did take them a little while to actually put it all together. Somehow, during all of this chaos, the police 
were not able to find Alcala until 1979 where he made his appearance in the dating game and was later caught. Now for those who might not know what the dating game was, just like I didn't before I found out about this case, um, the dating game was actually an American television show that first aired on December 20th 1965 and was the first of many shows created and packaged by Chuck Barris from the 1960s all the way through the 1980s. ABC actually dropped the show on July 6th 1973 but it continued as a syndication for another year, um, which would be in 1973 till about 1974, as the new dating game. Quick side note to that side note, Alcala was actually questioned in connection with the Hillside Strangler investigation as a convicted sex offender. Anyway, back to the dating game. So despite all of his criminal records, I don't know how, but in 1978, he was admitted as a bachelor number one to the dating game. The host introduced him as a successful professional photographer. Keep that in mind because that is going to link to later on in the episode. Though Alcala won the contest, the female contestant Cheryl Bradshaw would not go on a date with him because she described him as creepy. Criminal profiler Pat Brown later suggested that this rejection angered Alcala since afterwards he killed at least, and I mean at least, three more women within two years. I think the one thing that I find weird is that looking at these cases, none of these women were ever personally linked to Alcala, so he didn't quite have a motive for specifically killing all those women. 18-year-old Jill Barcombe, originally from New York, was found dead in Southern California in 1977. Jill had been in Southern California for about three weeks before she was killed by Alcala. Her body was found in a dirt path near Mulholland Drive in Los Angeles. Barcombe was found in a neat chest position, being exposed from the waist down, suggesting some sort of sexual manipulation had happened. There were definite signs of sexual assault, as well as strangulation marks on her neck. According to her autopsy though, it was found that she was strangled with a pair of blue stacks and had been beaten. There were also bite marks on her right breast found. She was his fifth known victim and only third to have been killed. Rodney's sixth victim would be Georgia Wickstead, who was a registered nurse killed at the age of 27. Wickstead's bruised and battered body was found on the floor of her Malibu studio apartment near her brass bed on December 16th, 1977. She was naked and had been sexually assaulted before she was tortured and bludgeoned and strangled. Though a little ways away, a hammer was found next to her body, thought to have been the main weapon that caused her death. But a mere year later, Rodney Alcala would commit his seventh murder. Charlotte Lamb was a legal secretary from Santa Monica who was killed aged 37. 
Lamb's naked body was found on June 24th, 1978, in the laundry room of her large apartment complex in El Segundo. She had been sexually assaulted and strangled with a shoelace. The apartment manager found her body laying face up with her hands behind her back. But strangely enough, residents would say that they'd never seen her before, which means that maybe she might have not actually been killed there. Maybe Alcala just placed her body there to make it look like she was killed there, but when in fact, she might have not. Jill Parentor was a computer program key punch operator who was killed at age 21 by now serial killer Rodney James Alcala. Parentor was killed on June 14, 1979 by an intruder breaking into her Burbank apartment by jimming her window lava. Her naked body was found on the bedroom floor prompt up by pillows, suggesting she had been sexually assaulted. She was Alcala's eighth victim. And now, finally, probably the worst case of them all, we are going to be talking about the brutal killing of 12-year-old Robin Samso. On the day of Robin's disappearance, Alcala was seen trying to get her and one of Samso's friends into swimsuits so that he could take pictures of them. But thankfully, he was chased away by one of the nearest neighbours. The day prior, though, he attempted the same thing, but instead tried to bribe two teenage girls with some marijuana. On the day that she was supposed to be attending her ballet class, she was reported missing. Her body was to be found 12 days later, decomposing on the Angeles National Forest. Robin's head was separated from her body, both of her hands were missing, and two of her front teeth were cracked. Samso's friend told police that a stranger had approached them on the beach earlier that day, asking to take pictures of them. Detectives circulated the sketch of the supposed photographer and Alcala's parole officer recognised him. During a search of Alcala's mother's house in Monterey Park, police found a rental receipt for a storage locker in Seattle. In the locker, they found Samso's earrings. The locker also contained two other pairs of earrings, which were later found to be, through DNA evidence, of Charlotte Lamb. Now, for many who might be true crime fans, most of you might know that serial killers tend to tend to keep things from their victims once they've killed them. Kind of like trophies, to be honest. Um, for his case, it was Samso's earrings and oh, Samso's and Charlotte's earrings. Unbeknownst to him at the time, Samso's earrings were the reason why he got caught. And this is why you should be careful for what you keep because you never know, they might just be the end of you. Anywho, back to the timeline. So, Alcala was arrested in 1979 and held without bail. In 1980, he was tried, convicted, and sentenced to death for Samso's murder. But the sentence was overturned twice. First, in 1984, because the jury was told about the previous convictions before the trial. And then again, in 1986, on the grounds that a witness had been hypnotised. Which is weird. I don't know why you would hypnotise a, a, a witness, but you know. 
After the second trial, virtually identical to the first, except for the omission of the prior criminal record testimony, he was again convicted and sentenced to death. While in prison, side note, he published a book called You, the Jury, where he denied killing Samso and posited another suspect. He also tried to sue the California panel system twice, once for a slip and fall accident and another because the prison hadn't given him a low diet. We all know how that ended up. In 2003, while a third trial of Alcala was being planned, his DNA, which had been sampled during his time in prison, connected him to two other victims. In 2010, Alcala was tried for a total of five murders. Samso, Barcombe, Wickstead, Lamb and Parentor. He was found guilty of all counts and was in death row in San Quintin State Prison. In 2011, he was indicted for the New York murders of Cornelia Crilly and Ellen Hoover. In December of 2012, he pled guilty to both murders. On January 7th the following year, he was given another life sentence. He is also believed by investigators to be responsible for the 1977 murder of 19-year-old Pamelia Jean Lamson in San Francisco, but has not been charged with it since. There are no fingerprints or DNA evidence that implicates it was him. Now, remember earlier when I said that in the dating game he was addressed as a professional photographer? Well, here is why. As you might have noticed, DJK lured his victims with his photographer disguise. But did he really have the potential and really want to be a photographer if it wasn't for the insignificant killing sprees? Well, ladies and gentlemen, fun fact, Alcala stored over 120 photos of his victims in his locker and ever since have thankfully been released in the hopes that the subjects would come forward and identify themselves or at the very least their families would come forward and identify whoever might be in the certain photos. Approximately 900 other sexually explicit photos still have not been released, including many of them which had been nude women. With those photos, now 21 women have come forward and identified themselves, with six families having claimed that a photo containing a long-lost family member was found. With those photos, an additional victim by the name of Christine Ruth Thornton was identified. September 2016, Alcala was charged with the murder of Thornton, whose body was found in Wyoming in 1982, five years after her disappearance. She was linked when one of her relatives recognised her from his photos. Alcala was incarcerated at the California State Prison in Corcoran, California. I'm very sorry for the mispronunciation. Earlier this year, on July 24th, 2021, Alcala died of natural causes aged 77. 
At the time of his death, Alcala was still on death row, awaiting for his execution for the murders he had committed in California. And finally, for the cherry on top of it all, here is Alcala's modus operandi. So, as we might recall from the information that I have spoken about during this episode, we know that Alcala's known victims were women and girls aged between 8 and 31. But though not much is known about the details and exact approach towards his victims in public, we can put together that they were all attacked in their residence and usually raped and strangled with stockings, shoelaces or beaten with a blunt object. Alcala did, however, have a noticeable habit of torturing his victims by first strangling them to the point of unconsciousness. Then he resuscitated them at least once before finishing them off. Police believe that the victims were posed in carefully selected positions post-mortem. Final side note, strangely enough, not strangely enough, why am I saying strange? Not strangely at all, Alcala was compared to the one and only Ted Bundy and apparently has very similar killing traits compared to Bundy. Both were serial killers who, who targeted both women and children, possibly, very, very possibly actually. Both were serial killers who targeted both women and children operated in multiple states and killed their victims either with blunt force or asphyxiation. And unfortunately both had a 12-year-old girl as their last and confirmed victim. with that, ladies and gentlemen, is the end of the Dating Game Killer case. I hope you enjoyed the episode and make sure to stick around for any future episodes that are coming up. I'm your host, Voice. Take care. Bye-bye.